these hymns and this, the music, and let me just give you a little insight into the singing part of worship. Everything we do in Christianity is worship. When you wake up in the morning, we should worship Christ. We go to bed, we should worship Christ. Every interpersonal relationship, we should think about the Lord and loving other people. We should worship Christ. But when we come in and we're worshiping in song, let the music and let the words of these great hymn writers, let it draw us closer to Christ. It's somebody else's prayer. It's somebody else's heart. And sometimes we can learn from that, you know, and it draws us closer to the Lord. And, 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 and Lord, I want that to be my prayer. I want that to be my prayer. I want to be all for the Lord. Amen? And if you're born again, you have to be saying amen to that because that's all our desire. And as lost, the last thing I remember, none of us are perfect. Amen? <laughs> No, except a couple of people in this room. Okay. You must be born again. Who said that first and foremost? Jesus said it. You must be born again. How many people know that in this room? How many people know what it means? Okay, we got some hands going up there. We're going to take a look at it today, all right? I'll be preaching out of two texts. So uh, I'm going to start in the book of John, then I'm going to go into the book of Ezekiel, I'm going to look at a couple of texts. I want to explain this today. What does it mean, born again? You know, we get the, the stigma in the world today, those born agains. They think that, you know, we decided to do something different one day. You know, like we sign up, and you sign Brian Martin's, Sonship says I must be born again, so I signed the dotted line. So now because I go to a born-again church and I sign on the dotted line, that must mean I am... That means nothing. Born-again has nothing to do with you. Did you know that? Amen. It's everything to do with God. That's right. Amen. That's it. Yep. He does all the rest. Yep. You bring one thing. Sin. <laughs> we all got plenty of that. Let's go to John chapter 3. I'll start in there. I'll draw some observations, a little bit of application. Okay. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. Let me tell you what that means. That means humanity. That's all. Human being. Just a natural human being. That's all that means. That which is born of the flesh is of the flesh. That which is born of the spirit is of the spirit. Do you not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again? The wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound. But you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you a teacher of Israel? And yet 
You do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, Nicodemus, we speak of what we know, and we bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. He's talking about him and John the Baptist. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven. That's Jesus, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That's the crucifixion. That whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Let's pray. Father, we always thank you for your word. I want to thank you, Father God, that I am born again. I want to thank you, O God, that when I walked into a church almost 30 years ago, I thought I was just going to a church that read the Bible and played music. I had no idea that the Holy Spirit was going to knock on my heart one day and say, Brian, yes, Lord, you're a sinner. I know, Lord. I want to save you and forgive you of all your sins. Wash me, God, and make me whole. And I was born again. I didn't come looking to be born again. I had no idea what it meant to be born again. The only thing I knew about it is there was a couple of people running around handing out tracks and playing tambourines. And that's not what I wanted to sign up for. A year later, I was handing out tracks and shaking the tambourine. That's the way God operates. So if you're here today, you don't want to be shaking a tambourine, get ready. Okay? If you don't want to be handing out tracks, get ready. That's the way God operates. But what we read here is the major text in Scripture on necessity. The necessity of being born again. Or born from above. Or born of the Spirit. Though Jesus teaches clearly. Make no mistake about this. I'll get into the text a little bit. He makes it clearly that a person, if a person is not born of the Holy Spirit, that person can either see the kingdom of God, understand the kingdom of God, or be part of the kingdom of God. That means to be saved. In this life or the next. No matter how good you are, religious you are, it's all what he says here, what's born of the flesh is flesh. The last thing God wants from you is your good intentions about going to church. You could care less. It won't work. You need something to be done on the inside, in the heart, and in the mind. And that is something only God can do. I can't do it. This church can't do it. Only God can do it. God the Father, God the Son, Holy Spirit, that's the only ones that can do it. But we can show you the way. But what he doesn't teach, and this is important, though he clearly teaches you need to be born again, he doesn't teach what it means. What does it look like? Being born again, is it open to anybody's personal interpretation? I know many new ages that say they are born born again. They're born of this energy. The universal consciousness. New ages have many familiar metaphors about the new birth. In many of their teachings, Roman Catholic's dogma teaches that this happens at infant baptism. Many of us come out of that. For some reason, 
Someone sprinkled water on me when I was an infant and original sin was gone. I was infused with grace and now all original sin is gone and I've got nothing to worry about. I'm glad someone told me the truth. Amen. Amen. At first glance, this teaching by Jesus seems vague and basically open to anybody's interpretation because it's subjective. You can say one thing, you can say another thing, a Jew can say this, a Muslim can say this, a Catholic can say this, a Christian can say this, New Age says this. I know a couple of drunks that say they're born of something too. Anybody can say anything? But let me tell you something, to be sure, it is not the same. Let's get it right. It's a serious matter. As a matter of fact, it's eternal life or eternal death. You miss it on this, you miss it. Between Jesus' teaching and John's gospel, and I'll speak about Ezekiel's prophecy later on, there's much to be learned about the new birth. Jesus teaches the necessity, Ezekiel teaches what happens, and I'll, I'll speak about Ezekiel later on. And when we do it, and we should, then we find a clear and encouraging understanding of what it means to be born again, what it means to be born of the Holy Spirit. So I can have an idea of what's going on inside me. I just thought I started coming to a new church. Maybe you thought you just started coming to a new church. Maybe you started, well, I'm starting to read the Bible, you know. All of a sudden, you don't realize you're starting to think different. You're starting to live different. You're starting to desire different. You're starting to pray different. You're starting to sing different. You're starting to care for people different. You're hearing the Bible teaching differently. You're not coming in waiting to run out. You want to hear what the preacher has to say. What happened? You were born of the Spirit. That's what happened. Jesus says the wind blows to and fro, so is everyone born of the Spirit. I don't have to walk around saying, are you born of the Spirit? Were you born of the... Did you feel it? Did you have an experience? We don't do that kind of stuff. The wind blows to and fro. If you're born of the Holy Spirit, you're going to show it. Something's happened to you. It will manifest itself in you. In John chapter 3, Jesus' emphasis is on the necessity of this supernatural event. And some of the means to this supernatural event. There are certain prerequisites that must take place before any human being, any sinner, comes to Christ and is born again. There are prerequisites. Ezekiel teaches what actually happens to the person. Jesus teaches that it has to happen. Jesus' teaching on being born again or born from above is brought out in a narrative form. It's important to understand that. It's a storyline. And every part of the story reveals something. The story tonight that we just read about Nicodemus in this midnight meeting with Jesus under the cover of darkness has several key elements that we need to know about. First of all, Nicodemus is not just anybody. Nicodemus represents the best of Judaism. Nicodemus is an all-star. He's a religious, spiritual, Jewish all-star. He is the man. Jesus says, you, a teacher of Israel, 
And he didn't come on his own. He says, we know. No one can do what you're doing unless God be with him. You see, they sent him. They recognized something was going on. I said, Nicodemus, go talk to him. Find out what's going on. Pick his brain. And it goes to show us something. Even the best religion, which is Judaism, it's only religion given by God, Christianity is engrafted into Judaism. Judaism is the promise. Christianity is the fulfillment. Can you you get that? Judaism is the promise given by God. Not by man. Christianity is the fulfillment of Judaism. We're engrafted impulses. But why? Why this undercover darkness? What's going on in this in this storyline here? Why does a man need to be born again? Because we're still in darkness. We can't see the truth. And we're born of the flesh. We're not born of God yet. We're still earthly. Both these elements speak of the deep spiritual darkness and sin that is in the world ever since Adam fell into sin. All human generation has been born of the flesh. Period. It's original sin. We see little children running around, their cute little faces and their cute little outfits, but in that child is original sin. And one day, it'll start rearing its ugly head. And that means, Nicodemus, that all your rules, all the regulations even God gave you, no matter how sincere you are, can never, ever satisfy God. Nothing can satisfy you. You can be the best human being you can be. It won't satisfy God. At all. Only a heart-to-heart religion. Listen to me. What we sang today. We sang heart-to-heart religion. Understand something. Did you sing, I will love you with all my heart, my strength, my soul, and my mind? Did you sing that? You cannot do that unless you are born again. You can't sing your way into it. You can't pay your way into it. You can't be born into it because your father's a pastor or your mother's a nun or all this kind of stuff. It won't work. Only heart-to-heart religion being made alive spiritually. That God raises us from the dead. When Jesus was raised, and we sung about it today, that's what happens to a man or a woman when they're born again. There's a spiritual resurrection that takes place that even the person that's saved and is born again doesn't even recognize what's going on in their life. You should turn around and say, what's going on with me? I'm thinking different. I'm sounding different. I'm doing different. I'm actually... Really looking at my behavior and I don't like what I see. Are you there yet? It's an act of grace. It's just an act of grace. It's something God does in you and for you. That is it. Thank you, Lord. 
this act of grace, this spiritual life, is one that loves the Lord personally. That's what it's about. <coughs> John's job and my job, Patty's job, as leaders of a church, we are here to inform you, to encourage you, to pray with you, to point you in the right direction, to give you understanding. But there's nothing I can do for you. I point you to Christ. It's our job. We point you to Christ. Reach out and hold him. Cry out in the middle of the night when life is painful. Go for Christ. He's there for you. He's there for you. He's really there for you. This heart-to-heart religion, this I love you, Lord, religion, can only come about from the Father, period. Only the Father can make you born again. It's born from above. It comes from heaven. It's not of this earth. No philosophy, no cult, no religion, no teaching, no education, no good works, no promises, no reform, no putting it down, no 12 steps, nothing at all in this world can do it. Only the one true and living God can do this miracle. Get it right. Don't let anybody say, oh, I'm born again and I'm born. No, they're not. Unless God is coming to your life, they're not born again. Get it right. You're not going to get born again in the bar, the football game. The agency of the supernatural rebirth is the Holy Spirit. Amen. We are a Trinitarian religion. We believe there is only one true God, period, who exists eternally as a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We don't understand it all, but one thing we know, the Scriptures make it clear. The Father is God, the Son is God, and the Spirit is God. We receive it by faith in the testimony of the Scriptures. His work on our hearts and minds of humans is invisible like the wind. That's the metaphor we have here today. Jesus uses this metaphor. You must be born again. And he just goes to say the wind blows to and fro. You really can't see it. You don't know where it's coming. Now we do 2,100 years later. But back then they didn't know where the wind was coming. It's a metaphor. It's a metaphor of a hidden spiritual work that no eye can see, but it has an outward manifestation. Don't miss that. I remember some years ago when me and John were preaching here, someone said, why don't you have an altar call? I said, why, you like to see people cry? Well, you should invite people to come up and accept Christ. I said, you can do that sitting down. After I preach, my job's over. John's job is over. I don't have to coach you. I don't have to coerce you. God does it right where you are. If you got ears to hear, and you want forgiveness, and you want to be saved, it's right there. Reach out in faith and grab Christ. It's a spiritual inner work done by the Holy Spirit, sent by God the Son, sent by God the Spirit, with an outward manifestation of a life that begins to obey God. The means to this, Jesus talks about here, and this is serious business. This is really serious. 
the means to everything I just said, this spiritual inner work, with outward manifestations of love and obedience, can only come about by the preaching, the clear preaching of Christ and the cross. That's it. I could tell you Jesus loves you, but if I didn't tell you he died for you and why he died for you, you cannot be born of the Holy Spirit. It's not good enough to tell you God loves you. It's not even good enough to tell you Jesus loves you. You can say that, but sooner or later we got to bring someone to the cross. And why? Jesus does this here. He says, if I be lifted up, as Moses lifted up the serpent. Remember that little weird thing we read there? And Moses was a serpent. Were you crazy? What did I get myself into over here? Well, he's talking out of Numbers 21. If you want to go home tonight, read Numbers chapter 21. Jesus uses this Old Testament reference to spiritual healing. The reason we know, the reason we know the difference between what New Ages teach about the rebirth, even what Roman Catholicism teaches about the new birth, is that all this supernatural inner work of the Holy Spirit, which we can't see, we really can't hear, it's like the wind that comes to and fro, you have no idea about it. The reason is, it takes place only when Jesus Christ is lifted up. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the Old Testament, and the people would look and they would be healed of their snake bites. When me and John or anybody lifts up Christ in preaching, in teaching about what he's done at the cross for sinful humanity, and someone hears by faith, you can be healed. Spiritual. Jesus uses it in reference to spiritual healing. So when someone talks to me about new birth and spiritual things, I listen. I like to listen. I say, tell me more. And you listen. Don't be scared when someone is not of our camp. Don't be frustrated when someone's not in our camp. And they're saying, oh, I'm born again. I said, well, tell me. When did it happen? What happened to you? Well, someone said to pray a prayer. I said, that's great. I said, did they tell you about the cross? Did they tell you about Jesus? Did they tell you about the Son of God had to come and die for your sins personally? Otherwise, you are still under personally the wrath of God. Do you understand that Jesus took the wrath of God on your behalf? Well, I never heard that. Then you're not born of the Holy Spirit. That's how we know the difference. Only when a clear presentation of who Jesus is, what he has done, and what we are spiritually of the flesh, and you explain to people that you need to be saved, you need to be born again, you need to be forgiven, you need to repent, you need to trust in Christ. Those are the prerequisites of being saved. A clear and articulate expression and explanation of why Christ died. Do you know why Christ died? 
So you and I would not have to suffer under the wrath of God. Make no mistakes about it. God hates sin. And if you ask me, how do you know? He crucified a sinless son on the cross. That's how I know. It's objective. And when we do this, God himself is giving the sinner an opportunity now to believe in him for themselves. Not the family member. One of the, what concerns me and John so much, especially being part of youth ministry for over a decade, when you grow up in the church, that can be very dangerous. When mommies are when daddy, a church goes and you're dragged along for the ride. Has anybody ever been dragged along for the ride? You can have the false assumption that you're genuinely saved, but personally never repented and come to Christ. It's a dangerous thing. You're not saved because your family goes to church, your father's a pastor. Or, you know, we're we're cultural Christians and we go to Mass and we go to, we do this on Christmas, we do this on Easter, we do this on Good Friday, and we go through our religious devotions and that somehow, no, doesn't work. Only when an individual stands there, and it can happen in the middle of a service, it can be happening to you today, you're sitting there and you feel like you're the only human being in the room, you feel like you're the only human being in the world, and that God is looking at you personally and saying, Brian, you're a sinner, but I love you and I die for you. That's personal faith. You're not going along for the ride. Jesus taught us the necessity of the new birth. In these 15 verses, he says it five times. He gives us the reason for the new birth. The flesh produces what? You know what he's saying? Sinners beget. Come on, go for it. Put your thinking cap on. Sinners beget sinners. Big sinners beget little sinners. And then little sinners grow up and they beget more little sinners. And before you know it, we got a world of sinners. You have to be born again because every human being has been born under sin, has been born under original sin, has it in us. We exercise it always. And the agency of this new birth is the Holy Spirit. With the metaphor, it's like the wind. Don't figure out the Holy Spirit. Just look for His work. My job, any preacher's job that is faithful to Jesus, all I have to do is be faithful to the preaching of Jesus Christ and what He's done at the cross. And the Holy Spirit is here backing up what I say. And the means to it, as we said already, is lifting up Christ and what He's done at the cross. And then, verse 15, is our partner. Whoever believes shall be saved. That's it. I was playing golf today. I, I, I do everything I can not to golf on Sundays. 
course, it is Sunday, and I preach in the church, and I, I do that good, but there was a special tournament going on, and so I asked my wife's permission, and little did I know, it should have been no problem, because I was out early, but the rain got in the way. So we're on the veranda, and everybody starts coming in, we have an hour and a half rain delay, and there's probably about 30 men, hard drinking already, smoking, cussing. And someone said, well, I need to go to Mass. And someone said, well, maybe Brian can do Mass. (laughs) (laughs) Praise God. (laughs) Brian got up. Facetiously, they said that, but I was not facetiously. I said, let me give you a sermon. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. These are hardcore guys. If you believe with your heart, I looked at the whole crew. Let me tell you something. I had their attention because God was there, not me. Amen. I said, if you believe in your heart that Jesus died for you, you'll be saved. I said, it's a heart religion. I said, he don't care about any else. And they listened. And a couple of things. No one chuckled. No one said, maybe they're scared of me. I don't know. <laughs> Whatever the reasons why, it was the Lord. So this went on for about two minutes. And that was it. About a half hour later, a guy comes up to me and goes, Brian, tell me about this heart thing. Do you really mean that? I said, well, what do you mean? I said, will he forgive anything? I said, anything and everything he will forgive if you come to him with your heart, genuinely ask for forgiveness and trust in Christ. It started welling up. And of course, a couple other guys got in the way, but I'll pick him up later on. But here's the point. Here's the point. When you're speaking about Jesus, you don't have to go through these long theological explanations. If they ask for it, if you want the long version or the short version, I can give you either one. Most people want the short version. God loves you. You've sinned against him. But he shows his love because Christ died for you. If you with your heart, you generally repent, God will forgive you. That's it. Go for it. If you ever find yourself with a group of people and someone mocks Christ, use it as an opportunity. Get up wherever you are. I am challenging everyone in this church. No matter where you are, Get up and say, oh, I didn't know you were religious people. I heard you take the Lord's name in vain. Let me tell you what he's done for you. Get up and tell the world that God loves them and he died for them. You don't have to speak like a prophet of the Old Testament. You don't have to speak like John the Baptist. Be like Jesus. Eat and drink with the sinners and let them know God loves them and die for their sins. The wind, the Holy Spirit, drew that man to me after the service on the veranda. They They thought they were just asking for something. But God turned that into a Christian service. And someone heard. And God's doing the rest. Amen? Yes, I want to go to the prophet Ezekiel now. I want to draw some points from Ezekiel. Remember, Jesus gives us the necessity. Did I lay it out at least 
you see the necessity that a man must be born of the Holy Spirit? Okay. Now what does it mean? Let's go to Ezekiel chapter 36. Where am I? Hello? There he is. Ezekiel 36, starting in 22. The reason I'm reading Ezekiel now, do you remember when Jesus said, Nicodemus, you are the teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? You mean you you haven't read the 39 books of the Old Testament? You mean you don't know what Ezekiel is saying? Don't you realize that the prophets pointed to a time when men needed to be born of the Holy Spirit? Don't you know your own scriptures? That's why he said, you're a teacher of Israel. You don't know this. If you don't know these things, how is Israel going to know? And this is what Jesus was pointing to when he told Nicodemus, you're a teacher and you don't know your scriptures? This is what he meant, what we're going to read right now. Verse 22. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God. When through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle you clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Who's doing this? God. God does it. Lesson number one, you have nothing to do with it. God says, I will seven times in these five verses. And it's God alone who does it because it's only God alone who can do it. That's it. Thank you. Only God alone can do it. I will explain these verses to you. Are you ready? The prophet Ezekiel tells us what all that means on the inside of us. Ezekiel is speaking on the inside. Jesus was speaking about the outside. Ezekiel is getting into it now. All this, what it means on the inside, what it means to our minds, what it means to our affections, what it means to our will. The mind was meant to know the will of God. Did you know that? Did you know? Do you know your mind was created to know the Bible? Do you know your mind was created to know the revealed will of God? Do you know your mind's first duty and priority in creation is theology? Did you know that? Your mind is to know who God is and what he wants for you. The affection, the emotion is meant to love that which you know. 
to know the will of God and to love it. And the will is to actually act upon it. That's New Testament religion. Could you imagine going to religious school and religious churches for 50, 60, 70 years and people don't know that's what Christianity is? How many people would like a nice new touch on their minds and on their hearts? How about a new power to live it out? If you're born again, it's in you already. The mind is to know the will of God. The affection is supposed to love the will of God. And the will acts upon this new love for what God has revealed. Verse 24, could you pull that up? Was Ezekiel up there when I was reading? Everybody saw that? Okay, I'm going to go through from verse 24. And we'll close with these verses. Get ready. Hold on. Ezekiel says this. Nicodemus should have been waiting for this. Nicodemus and all of Israel. Israel was an anticipatory religion. It was a religion of promise. They should have been like a, like a fighter, waiting for the Messiah to come. Something good was going to happen to Israel. They were waiting for a new covenant. They were waiting for a spirit. God had promised a new heart. That Jesus Christ is right there in front of them. And Nicodemus knows nothing about it. How sad. You know how many people are preaching out of the New Testament today have no idea who God is? You know how many Bibles are open up in churches, Protestant and Roman Catholic today, and the people are listening, and all they're getting is hot air? Listen. God says this, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I'm not going to explain it historically, how it meant to Israel. Let's say for that the other day. I'm going to bring it to a personal level. First thing, like I already said, I will. It said seven times, God does all the heavy lifting, period. He doesn't say, when you get to the house of God, I will save you. He didn't say, when you're ready, I will save you. He didn't say, when you're tired of yourself, I will save you. He says, I will save you. And you never know when that moment's going to come. That's the testimony. That's your testimony. That's our testimony. He plucks us out. The New Testament uses the word, he rescued us. And it means in the nick of time, he rescued us. He rescued us from our addictions and our greed and our lust. From our brokenness, from our sadness, from our unbelief. From the religion we loved. He saved us all from that. That's our testimony. All our personal bondage. I know everybody's here. How many people... How many people thought they were in bondage before they came to Christ? I know now. Yes, right. Right. But I didn't know then. Remember what Jesus told the Pharisees? The Son of Man, when he set you free? What'd they tell him? We're slaves to nobody. We're Abraham's children. They were the worst slaves of all. Saved to sin. It's when you come to Christ, you realize that what God has done for me. Right now, if you're saved, 
Where were you five years ago? Think about the last year right before you got saved. What kind of activity were you engaged in? How holy? How righteous? What were the thoughts you were going through in your mind before you came to Christ? What were you watching in the midnight hour? What were you reading? Who were you talking to? Who were you hanging around with? What were you listening to? What were you laughing at? What made you laugh? Howard Stern. <laughs> that's a sanctified mind. That's pleasing God. Where were you? You were in bondage. You're in bondage. Until Christ comes, you're in bondage. And you don't know it. But he says he's going to take us and he's going to cleanse us. Listen to verse 25. It gets better. He's not just going to take us out of bondage. He says, you know, while I got you out of bondage, I'm going to sprinkle you with clean water on you. And you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from your idols, I will cleanse you. Understand something. These are metaphors. It's a metaphor for absolute and total forgiveness of all guilt and all shame. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. I will give you absolute, totally and free pay for forgiveness. I'll take all your shame, all your guilt, all your old habits. I'm going to take it all. This is a wonderful work of grace on our conscience. You know what the conscience is like? It's like an old piece of furniture. Antique. That lost its luster because it's been painted over again and again and again. And two centuries later, you don't see a beautiful piece of antique. You just see furniture. Then you scrape it down and you do it over and you're looking at something and say, this is magnificent. That's what the conscience is. When God cleanses us and he frees us from bondages and I feel free and I feel alive for the first time, I can think clearly, I can think about God. All my guilt I didn't even know about, it's gone. All of a sudden I find out what the scriptures teach, that guilt and shame, understand something, is a picture of running away from God. Don't you remember what God told Adam? Why do you feel guilty? Why do you feel ashamed? Why are you running and hiding from me? Guilt and shame and scripture is a metaphor for running away from God. You can't hear him. You don't want to see the real and true and living God. He says this, whatever our idols are, what was the most important thing to you before you came to Christ? Besides yourself. Besides your own personal happiness. Own personal fulfillments. Own personal this. Own personal that. What was it? Anything that's more important in your life and my life is guess what? Anything more important than God in our life is idolatry. Anything. You love your kids more than God? It's idolatry. You love your wife and family more than God? It's idolatry. God gets first place. And you would say, but I'm supposed to love my children. Are your children keeping you from church every Sunday because they got to do this, that, and the other thing? Idolatry. 
Is your wife keeping you from church because she's busy doing something? It's idolatry. Does your husband want to go to the beach all the time? Your husband want to play golf all the time? You want to go to the pool all the time? You're not coming to church? You're not worshiping God? Idolatry. Nothing. Well, I got to work, Brian. I, I, I got to work. God's blessed me. God's blessing you. You're working every Sunday. That's not a blessing. That's a curse. God, I'm not blessing you with idolatry. God first. Anything else is idolatry. Anything else. But Brian, there's a lot of things. Yeah, because that's what we do. We manufacture idolatry. If the flesh gives birth to flesh. This is what God does. I wish I could tell you as soon as you're born again, all your idols go. But you know that's not true, right? But God starts taking them away one by yes, one. Amen. That's how good he is. One by one. I'm going to show you that I'm more important than one. I'm going to show you I'm more important than success. I'm going to show you I'm more important than being the best golfer. I'm going to show you I'm more important than hitting home runs. I'm going to show you I'm more important. And all of a sudden, I'm free from these idols. I was trying to perfect life. I don't have to perfect anything. I just got to enjoy Jesus. Are you with me? Listen to verse 26. It gets better. He just doesn't take us away from the things we love. He just doesn't cleanse us from our guilt and our shame. He doesn't remove the idolatry of us. He says this. He goes, while I'm at it, verse 26, since I love you so much and I'm doing everything anyway, I'm going to give you a new heart. Well, what do you need a new heart? I'm going to give you a new spirit too, small s. I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I'll give you a heart of flesh. And what is he talking about? This is religious jargon. No, it's not. Listen, I'll give an interpretation. This verse speaks of brand new religious affections for God. Yes. You can't wait to come and sing. You can't wait to pray. You can't wait to hear people preach. You can't wait to read your Bible. You can't wait to tell somebody you're born again. You can't wait to do this. You can't. You, you got these new, like a little child. You're like you're like you're born again, and you just you just want to live for God. That's what this is. And guess who did it? When the great I am says I will, it's done. Don't ever forget. When God says I will. It's done. Period. I will give you a new heart. These new religious affections. This heart that seeks to please God. Not oppose Him anymore. A true joy. A true hope. A true contentment in our life. A hope that's eternal. No matter what goes on in life, the future always looks good because you've been born of the Holy Spirit and you have eternity on your mind and you know God is 1,000% on your side and nothing ever is going to separate us from the love of God that's found in Christ Jesus. Neither life nor death nor height nor principality. Death can't even separate. Sin can't separate you from God. Do you understand you've been born again? Are you not rejoicing? This is not religion. This is not Sunday I got to go to church. This is worship. Worship God. It gets better. It wasn't until I was born again that I truly understood what relationships were. What friendship was. What being a husband was. God teaches us that. Mm -hmm. 
for the first time, I really want to pray. I don't want to read the Bible. I want to forgive people that offended me. I want to reach out to people that nobody else reaches out to. I don't want to lend to those who lend back. Jesus said, even sinners do that. Jesus says, I'll tell you who to give. Give to the one who can't give back. Go to the highways and the byways and invite people that can't invite you back. Go to them. And for the first time, you really feel like you're alive. You really feel like you're alive for the first time. You feel like you're alive because you've been born again. He says, I will remove. The reform that takes place is not from our great ability to see the difference between right and wrong. God removes the stuff in our life by sheer grace. He motivates us and gives us incentives of tears and a desire to please Him. And things change. The things we used to love, the things of the world, they're growing dimmer and they're growing dimmer. And when Satan says, Brian, I'll tempt you in this, I'm like, but I'm not that man anymore. The, the temptations are not as strong anymore. I, the desire is there. And I, I can hear him saying, come back. And I'm like, but I don't want to go back. I like where I am. I like being saved. I like honoring God. The rebellion's over. My heart is one to God now. But there are battles, amen? amen. Got battles. You got battles? Yes. Are you perfect? Yeah. You know you want to serve God. When I come up to preach, understand something. I will never, ever try to talk a man into being a Christian. I will speak to your heart. If you are a Christian, you will want to serve God. I'm speaking to the part of you that wants to. I don't care what you're caught up in. I could care less. I'm going to speak to that part of you that wants to serve God. God will have his way. He goes on, it gets better. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. My spirit, listen to me. He goes from having a new heart to having a new conscience. Now he says a new ability, this new power. What good would it be to be totally forgiven? Do you know you're totally be forgiven? Please tell me, are you forgiven in Christ? Yes. Do you know God forgives you? Yes. Could you imagine God forgiving you and then leaving you in a stinking mess? Could you imagine a child says, my diaper cleans my diaper. Oh yeah, you got a dirty diaper. I'm not going to hold it against you. Clean the diaper. Give the kid a new diaper. That's what God does for us. He gives us a new diaper. He gives us a new heart. A heart that wants to please God. A new desire, a new power source. This is the power. I will put my spirit within you. That's the new power. It's the power over sinful temptations. It's the power over satanic influence. It's the power over the culture that wants us to go the wrong way. We can march against the culture. We can march against temptation. We can march against Satan. And no harm and no weapon formed against us shall ever prosper. What good would it be to forgive us if he doesn't enable us to live it out now? Are you with me? Listen to this. 
He says, I will make you careful to obey my rules. How does he do that? How does God make you and me careful to obey our rules? Do you have this dilemma? Ah, little angel says yes, bad angel says no. And I'm going back and forth. One day it's over here, and one day it's over there. And you feel like you're in a slugfest and God is battling the demons with you. No! Doesn't work that way. That's not religion. God's not asking you to try harder. God's going to love you so much you don't want to do the other thing. Don't you understand? I hope you tapped into that. That's why I tell everybody, enjoy Christ. If you're enjoying Christ, you'll live for Christ. If you're not enjoying Him, you're going to live for yourself. The equation's easy. Don't say, I, have a, I keep on doing the same thing. I haven't seen you in six months while I've been busy. <laughs> but I'm enjoying God. You're sure you're enjoying Who are you enjoying? You're enjoying, a, you're enjoying a vacation. That's what you're enjoying. God makes us obey Him, not by giving us the right no more. We love him so much that I love everything about him. Yeah. And I want to obey him. Are you with me? Amen. Would you want a child just to obey you because he doesn't want to get spanked? In the beginning, children need to be taught that way. In the beginning of Christianity, I can tell you right now, when you first start obeying God in the beginning, it's because there's a, a reference for God, there's a fear. But that will give way to one day when you're like, I don't need to be spanked. I love my parents. I love my God. Father, come to us today, Lord, as we close the sermon and prayer, God. I thank you for this living word, Father God. I thank you that the great I am said he will, and it is done in Brian Martin's life. I thank you that the great I am said he would in everybody else's life in here, and it is done, Father God. Now help us, oh God, to love you more and more and more with all our heart, strength, soul, and mind. And in this, we will obey you. And with all eyes closed, I don't know if you're here today. Are you born again? Can you say, Pastor, I'm not. Can you say that? Or I put it like, can you say, Brian, I am born again? If you can't say that affirmatively, ask Christ into your life now. It's between you and him. My job is over. It's between you and the Lord. Ask. Just ask. Ask him now, Lord Jesus, say it to yourself, to the Lord. Forgive me of all my sins. I trust you that you died for me. And that you're going to give me a new life with a new heart and a new spirit, new eyes and new hands to live for you. In Christ's name.